Coming up on the Mark Devine Show. Yeah, they asked me, like, what is the most important intervention here? And I'm like, you don't look at a Picasso painting and say, what's the most important color? It's bringing them all, all together is where you get the power, the holistic approach. This is Mark Devine, and this is the Mark Devine Show. On this show, I explore what it means to be fearless through the lens of the world's most inspirational, compassionate, smart, and resilient leaders. I interview people from all walks of life every week, meditation monks, blockchain wizards, the good ones, extreme sports enthusiasts, and people on the cutting edge of science and nutrition, such as my guest today, Matthew Dawson. Matthew is involved in genomic-based precision medicine. He's founder and CEO of Wild Health. He's the author of a couple of textbooks, dozens of studies, former associate professor at the University of Kentucky, runs a popular podcast called Wild Health. What an amazing individual. Thank you, Matthew, for joining me today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. What were some of your formative experiences? You know, what shaped you as a human being? Yeah, I, I grew up in Kentucky. Um, growing up, I kind of played every sports and was really obsessed with performance in general. And that's really kind of what led me into to healthcare in general. So small town in Kentucky. I ended up playing a couple sports in college. I went to medical school from there and again, was fairly obsessed. I, I, I really didn't have any talent at all <laughs> playing sports. Uh, and kind of had to, I feel the same way. <laughs> I was good at swimming, but that just required me to go in a straight line. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was get pretty in good much shape. Good at working hard and thinking. And that was, about, that was about it. So what were your parents like were they, as an influence? My parents were the two greatest people I've ever met. So awesome. when you mentioned trauma, I thought, oh man, I don't, I, that's, I'm not going to have a hard time coming up with that because they okay, were- Okay. You're one like, of the lucky ones. Good job. <laughs> I, I am. Yeah. I had an incredible foundation and my dad was a chaplain of the fire department uh, here in Lexington for 20 years. My mom was a teacher and just wonderful, wonderful people. Did you have one of those volunteer fire departments like we had in upstate New York that the, the bell would go off if there was a fire, the siren, and everyone would get in the car and go drive to the, yeah, you know, drive to the place. And- yeah. In the small town where I grew up, we did. My dad ended up uh, working in a larger city in Lexington. Um, but, but yeah, volunteer in the small little town I grew up in. That's such a cool thing. Okay. How big was your town? A couple thousand people. So you pretty much knew, knew everybody. Huge compared to mine. I had 375. Oh, yeah. We're a big city. Yeah, that's a big. <laughs> I, I get a sense for though, you know, you're Kentucky. That's you know farther south than I was, but growing up in those small towns really does talk about a formative influence in and of itself. Like you said, you know a lot of the people. There's really nowhere to hide. You know what I mean? It's so different than growing up in a big city. Yeah, and I mean integrity is critical. I mean, I learned that from my parents. I mean, when everybody yeah. knows everybody, you kind of have to treat everyone incredibly well. You, you can't. Right hide. Like you said, you can't get away with things. And so I think it was an incredible upbringing. Yeah. The town becomes, I'm not that I really loved Hillary Clinton's policies or anything, but when she said it takes a village, she was actually accurate there. Mm-hmm. Right. And she was talking about that small town kind of idea that everyone takes a little bit of responsibility for raising the, the children in the town, you know? Yeah. Because if you see someone going off the rails, you know, you're going to, you're going to tighten them up and you're going to, the parents are going to know about it right away. And you know, and if you do something bad, the cop isn't going to just bust you right away. He's going to like, going to help you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and call your parents because he knows your parents. Like your parents know every policeman, teacher, uh, fireman, everyone else. So yeah, can't get away with much. 
be nice if we can get back to that, you know, kind of a more decentralized and um, authentic way of organizing our culture. That's a separate subject, you know, for another day, maybe. <laughs> it's, <laughs> a long it's a long topic, I know. Okay, so great. Um, you went to school. Did you go to college down there in Kentucky as well? Yeah, I did. I initially went to a small school. Um, I, I got scholarship offers in soccer and tennis, which were my two least favorite sports, but the only ones I was uh, good enough to play. Um, <laughs> and then I, I ended up going to the University of Kentucky for the last half of my undergrad and also medical school. Okay. You went straight from college into medical school there, huh? Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. When uh, no, no time off, I knew what I wanted to do. I mean, I told my mom when I was five years old what I wanted to do. So not, not really a lot of time going trying to find myself or taking time off between college and med school. Did you ever have any re regrets for not taking some time off to like travel the world or do something between college and cuz I did. I went from Colgate right into my MBA with like 3 or 4 weeks between and I always wish I had taken some time. Yeah, you know it's funny. I I mean when I grew up, yeah, the best parents in the world, but I mean we didn't have much. I mean there were times growing up we were kind of at or below the the poverty line and so for me, it was kind of just getting through and getting it paid for and things like that. So I, it, I never had a regret when it came to that. It's funny, the only, now that you mentioned it, what I tell people the only regret I've ever had is I seriously considered a kind of a, a military route and special forces. And I know that's like, uh, you have that background. That was the yeah. one thing that I, I've always looked back and said, hey, was that good enough? Could I have done that? I, I obviously love a challenge. Um, and yeah. I was really close to that, but I knew I wanted to be a doctor and it seemed like a circuitous path or, and not really couldn't do both. And that, that was the, yeah. maybe the only regret I've ever had. Yeah. One of my good friends is a Navy SEAL doctor now. <laughs> it does happen. <laughs> yeah. And there's an astronaut now who was a Navy SEAL, went to Harvard Medical School, and then uh, now he's in the astronaut program. But don't hold on to the regret. Regrets suck. You know, Need to let those things go. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Not helpful. So, so what were you, what kind of doctor did you want to be, and what what kind did you become? Yeah. So I, um, the only thing that did not bore me <laughs> when I actually got into the hospital, because uh, I kind of have ADHD, I'm always doing a lot of things. Was the emergency department? I fell in love with the emergency department. Just the intensity of it, having kind of life and death situations constantly in front of you. And so that's what I went into and specialized at first. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I did and, until I found precision medicine and just became obsessed with the science of actually doing personalized medicine for people. So I practiced in the ER for about a decade. Okay. Yeah. And really loved it. It was a, I mean, it's such a privilege. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, you're a frontline, gosh, I mean, that's, that is service, right? That is intense. It's stressful. You're seeing just incredible trauma. Tell us, you know, some of the highs and lows of that experience as an ER doctor. Like, what were the, some of the most challenging things that you experienced and, and what were some of the most beautiful and rewarding things? Yeah, it, it is such a privilege and, and a rewarding thing to be able to meet people, usually during the worst day of their life. Right. Uh, and you're there and you're able to provide comfort, maybe save their life, do something for them. So it is a really incredible privilege. It's not always easy. Uh, the The most difficult thing was, I mean, you would have a child that um, died uh, and then you tell their parents and then seconds later, you're having to see another patient with a complaint and you have to bury that. There's no wow. 
time. Right. There's no grieving process for you. And that, that accumulates. It's, it, it becomes difficult on ER physicians and nurses. And you get really good at compartmentalizing and suppressing things. That doesn't always serve you later right. in the rest of your life. That's interesting. So what type of mental tools did you develop to navigate, to stay calm, to stay focused, to deal with these kind of ups and downs, and also to make sure that you weren't going to eat yourself alive with some of these, you know, by suppressing some of these traumas? I think people who have a natural tendency and ability to that tend to gravitate towards emergency medicine. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it was the same thing in my athletics career. I mean, I was a, a goalkeeper. I always liked the most highest pressure um, scenarios. Um, and interestingly enough, I found out later when I looked at my DNA with kind of what we're doing, I have a very specific SNP on the fatty acid amide hydrolase gene that's very rare really? that makes it to where I don't really feel anxiety and stress as much. So I think I had a natural proclivity. And then just over time, you you get used to it. So um, I, don't, I can't point to any specific training I had. I think the, the genetic predisposition and the athletics kind of inoculated for that a little bit. Right. I guess you could say the athletics was training in a sense. Yeah. I think so. Or, and also I wonder, and maybe you have, uh, can shed some light on this is that like genetic expression, you know, through that athleticism, Mm -hmm. right? Was it the gene? Did it look like that before the athletics or was it a result of the athletics? You know, I think that's really interesting to me. Yeah. But we can come back to that because I want, because I know that's kind of the focus of your work now with wild health and and whatnot. But um, I still want to stick with this. So, what led you? from being an ER doc and, and, and really thriving in that to wanting to shift out of it to what you now call, or what's now known as personalized medicine, which by the way, is, it's got to be a pretty new thing. I mean, isn't it? I know we've been, people have been talking about it for a while, but the ability to actually do it mm-hmm. technologically has been is pretty recent. Yeah. No, you nailed it. And so even in emergency medicine uh, early on, I spent a lot of time teaching other physicians. So medicine is always about 20 years behind the science. And so my co-founder of Wild Health and I, we were teaching other doctors a technologically advanced skill called point-of-care ultrasound that was, the evidence was really good there for it, but no one was doing it. And um, we just kind of saw the science uh, ahead uh, when it comes to that. That was really exciting. We, we, we started a nonprofit. We made a big difference with that, taught a lot of physicians. But the actual work in the ER, it kind of grinds on you. And honestly, not not as much of the, what I mentioned about kind of the child and then going to the next patient, but you just see the same patients over and over and you right. realize you may save their life or like put a bandaid on something and then they come back. Like the root cause, the upstream effect. I, I heard a great um, analogy, a story of someone who was standing in a certain place in the river and people were floating down and you'd see them, you'd jump in and save them, pull them out, jump in, save them, pull them out. Finally, he walked up river to figure out who was throwing these people in. And, and that's how I felt in the ER. So we're pulling these people out, but like, why don't we teach them how to not get in this situation? I love that. And when we saw the science that like, hey, look, people have been talking about personalized medicine for a decade. The science exists and no one's doing it. We were uh, the kind of folks who couldn't just not do anything. And we, we kind of went all in with that. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. So I wonder... Because I'm, I'm in the academic program right now to get my doctorate in leadership, you know, which is kind of a social science, but it's got enough rigor that it's kicking my ass. <laughs> it's probably nothing compared to, you know, like a hard science, obviously. But um, there are the researchers and then there are the doers. And, and like you said, that oftentimes those 
they operate in completely different worlds, mm-hmm. right? You, you know, so unless you're, you take the time out of your ridiculous schedule as an ER doctor to be going to conferences and to be reading the, you know, the publications, you just don't really know. Yeah. And I found that to be true, like with my doctors, I'm like, dude, have you heard about this? Have you heard about that? And they're like, nope, 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 nope. I'm like, you're kidding me. Mm-hmm. Really? Like, huh? Yeah. Like nutrition is a great example, right? You know, nutrition. Most people just have no clue. Yeah. about anything about nutrition in the medical profession because they're just not taught. And I know it's not, I'm, I'm, I know I'm speaking very generally. So if you're, if you're a doctor and you know a lot about nutrition, then forgive me, but generally speaking. And then you have the FDA, of course, which is you know, pretty corrupted that's still not willing to change their standards on sugar. When it's so obvious that this is just basically a, a drug that's damaging, doing so much damage. Anyways, I went off on a little tangent there, but I can see how the technology, the tools and the application really does trail the science, but it shouldn't, right? There really should be much more of a, like in the military, a hand-in-glove, you know, approach between the, those who are doing their cutting-edge research and those who are applying it. Yeah, and, and that's the, that gap between the science and then, then actually putting it into practice. That's where we've kind of stood, that translation of the science to actually put it into, right. into practice. And there is, a, I mean, in medicine, we're dealing with people's lives and their health, and so there is some good to being cautious and waiting for evidence true, to kind of true. accumulate, but it is, it is way too slow. The translation is, has been the problem, and that's what we try to do is actually translate science and get it out there more quickly. So let's talk about some of the things that, that you saw that you know, led to kind of the innovations that you're working with now at Wild Health. Mm-hmm. Like what, tell, kind of like walk us down the path of your discoveries and, and, the, and the impact it was having with people. Sure. So we saw the science was there. We saw that you could actually look at someone's DNA and tell an incredible amount about them, like what foods they should eat, what foods they shouldn't eat, and what medications will work or which ones won't, how they should actually exercise, um, all this incredible information about lifestyle and medicine and risk factors, but no one was doing it. So we initially, when we started, we just sequenced our own DNA. Right. Is that easy to do these days? It is. So, I mean, even just 23andMe or Ancestry.com, they don't sequence your entire genome, right. but they look at hundreds of thousands of, of SNPs of these single nucleotide polymorphisms. So you can just do that for a couple hundred dollars and then download the raw data. So they don't really tell you anything about it. That's the difficulty. So we did that, downloaded our raw data, and then combed through that over an enormous amount of time to really get the actionable insights we wanted. Right. Now, Mike, my uh, co-founder and partner, as we were doing this, he had actually kind of a difficult medical issue that came up. His, his lipids were through the roof, like not just a little elevated, but kind of at a dangerous level, a kind of a familial thing that he had. And his doctor told him to do a certain diet. He got worse. His doctor put him on a medication for it. He got muscle breakdown, myopathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, I mean, he's an athletic guy too. We were doing ultra marathons and, and doing stuff and it just wasn't it was a bad situation. And when we looked at his DNA, we saw almost immediately that he needed to be on the opposite diet this doctor put him on. Right. We saw that he had a specific polymorphism that made him pretty much guaranteed to have that bad reaction to the medication. And when we saw this, we're like, why did his doctor not know this or do this? Why? He didn't have to suffer. And then we did like a light bulb went off and right. we realized, okay, nobody's doing this. Like we're nobody's the only ones it. looking at this. Like this is got to get this out there. Well, how do you make the leap from seeing someone's genetic markers or code and knowing what diet, what medications, you know, what, how, how do you make that link? As I mentioned, there are thousands of studies. 
So that was the difficult part, kind of collating all those and pulling them together. Just to give you examples, Mike, he has a, an incredible, that's who I was just speaking about. He has a really large number of FTO, PPAR alpha, PPAR gamma SNPs. So what that means is he's very sensitive to saturated fats, mm-hmm. whereas I don't have any of those. Hmm. So what we found when we looked at our DNA, I needed to be on a very kind of animal-heavy kind of keto diet to optimize all my numbers. He needed to be on more of a plant-based diet almost, like almost vegan. Mm-hmm. And when we saw that, that was kind of an aha moment for us too, because you hear all these, like it's almost like religious wars when people talk about diets. Everyone mm-hmm. is convinced their diet is the best. Yeah. And the reason they're convinced of that is because they finally found what works for them. It works for them. <laughs> exactly. Right. And yeah. and we did we did all these experiments for ourselves where we would eat the exact same thing for two days and watch our glucose numbers, our ketone numbers, measure our inflammatory markers. And it was fascinating to see how we responded perfectly to very different diets. Yeah. I, I think that's so important for people to hear again is that no one diet fits any one person perfectly, right? It's like, it really is, you know, what you're doing is the future. It's like personalized nutrition, mm-hmm. but it's difficult to do, of course. I was part of a company uh, co-founded by Craig Vertner and Peter Diamandis called uh, Human Longevity. You familiar with them? Yeah, I am, yeah. They're like the pioneers in kind of this this personalized medicine, but they're, it was like caveman. Like it cost me $5,000 to have my genome sequence. This is like 13 or 14 years ago. And then, you know, they did a bunch of other tests, cognitive tests, MRI and all that kind of stuff. And they couldn't have told me anything like what you just told me. In fact, they didn't. They just said, you're you're one of the healthiest guys we've ever studied. Thanks for that genome. And uh, you're predisposed for two things, Renaud's and Dupuytren syndrome. And I was like, yeah, got them both. Check. And they said, and you, and you're supposed to have red hair. And I said, I do. <laughs> and they're like, oh, <laughs> so, and that's all I learned. I'm like, aren't you going to tell me like how I'm supposed to eat? And I'm like, it didn't have the technology then. <laughs> yeah, no, we get incredible action. I mean, for myself, uh, I was at the time I was doing uh, Ironmans and I just continued to get injured. And what I saw in my DNA, I already mentioned the dietary part, but also uh, several things. One, I had this collagen 5A1 polymorphism that meant I was at much higher risk for tendon and ligament injuries if I didn't eat a lot more collagen protein. Interesting. So I increased my collagen protein. All those went completely away. Like my joints are right. perfect now, like 10 years later when they were killing me a decade before. Amazing. I also saw that kind of had all these SOD2 and these other um, SNPs around inflammation and that I needed to do lower volume. So I started doing lower volume and my performance went up. Mm-hmm. I saw that I needed to be more kind of endurance-based and strength-based. So I changed kind of the rep numbers and, and the mm-hmm. weights in the weight room. Strength went up. Caffeine is a perfect example. We just had a, an NBA player recently um, was working with. And so with caffeine, we've been taught for decades that it's a good ergogenic aid. It makes people perform better. Right. But what the evidence actually shows is if you're a certain genetic predisposition or fast metabolizer, you improve your performance. If you're an intermediate version, no change. And if you're a slow metabolizer, it hurts your performance. Really? So with this, with this NBA guy, like he was doing what everyone else is doing for games, Red Bulls, caffeine, and it was crushing his performance and it was hurting his sleep. When we looked at mm-hmm. his sleep genetics, he was doing all of these things wrong with his sleep. So it's just like actionable insight after actual insight with supplements, medications, exercise, food, sleep. It's an incredible right. amount of information that we can actually give people now. Do you get involved at all in assessing the biome? We do, yeah. We, what we do is we, everyone we see, we sequence their DNA. We look at about uh, 675,000 SNPs. We do a really large blood panel and biomarkers, much bigger than a doctor will ever order normally. 
We also can do microbiome testing when people want that and all of that information. And we also collect data from people's wearables Mm -hmm. and questionnaires. And we take these millions of data points and bring them all into AI engine and algorithm. Mm -hmm. And all of that affects the recommendation. Like if I'm talking to you about food, well, I'll use my mother as a perfect example. When she first came to us, she was about uh, quite overweight, insulin resistance, a lot of issues. And I was seeing her because she had a genetic predisposition to Alzheimer's as well. My grandmother Mm -hmm. had that. So we found that genetic predisposition. But as we're talking about what to eat, she has a VDR SNP. That means she may need more vitamin D. But then we also look at what is her vitamin D with the blood marker Mm -hmm. and then take into account, is it summer? Is it winter? Where is it? And then the AI engine can spit out. Are we going to fix this just with food? Is there nothing to fix? Do we right. need to supplement? And we kind of combine all the information and microbiome is, is part of that. So the output of this, is it a recommendation of a do this, do that kind of recommendation or do you get involved in the more direct intervention? Yeah, both. So there's to start, it is kind of about a 50 page report with all the recommendations. Okay, here's the perfect diet. Here's the perfect exercise plan. We'll modify according to their goals. Here's the supplements that will probably work, sleep, mindfulness, even mindfulness. There's specific SNPs saying, okay, loving kindness meditation will probably be better for this person or based really? on their COMT gene. Yeah, so really comprehensive. So there's a report, but we also, every patient that we see gets a physician and a health coach because the report is incredible, but it's really about the execution on that and someone holding them accountable and translating the science. So give them all the recommendations, but then we also want to set up, okay, we see that you need to do this to improve your sleep, but let's set an objective marker. We're going to put a wearable on you, and here's where we want your deep sleep and REM sleep to be. Let's do these end-of-one experiments based on the data, and then let's report back and let's adjust. So it's an iterative process, too, so that over time, the physician and health coach who knows how to use this data gets even better results than if we just handed someone a report. Okay, we're going to take a short break here from the Mark Devine Show to hear a short message from one of our partners. After 30 years in the trenches forging meters, one of the most important things that I've learned about bringing out the fullest potential in someone is that leaders thrive in supportive team environments. Being part of an elite team activates something deep inside where you can find a whole new level of drive and discipline that you never knew you had. I just opened a few spots in my highest level, most elite coaching program called Unbeatable Team. The Unbeatable Team program is an elite team mastermind with a number of events throughout the year for high-performing leaders looking to unlock even higher levels of performance by surrounding themselves with a support system that'll help them blast through personal barriers and limiting beliefs. The truth is that when you're part of an elite unit, you transcend your personal limitations and you'll do anything to avoid letting your team down. All of us are hardwired to get our best results when we're part of a winning team. I saw this as a Navy SEAL and I've seen it over and over again, training Navy SEALs and as an executive coach and in my own organization. The right team is the ultimate leverage to increase your personal potential. If you think you're a fit for the Unbeatable Team, go to unbeatablemind.com, learn more, and click on Start Here to apply. I hope to see you there. And now back to the show. What are some surprising findings you find? What, what do you think you would find in me? Is there any way, can you tell by like body type or, you know? Yes. Like generally speaking, I'm from Northern Europe. Like the, the genome test that I did said I was basically a Viking. It was 100% Northern European. I was like, well, that makes sense. You know, I kind of feel like a Viking, you know? Yeah. So um, I, I can give you kind of some patient examples. Um, my uh, 
my grandmother was one of the first patients that we saw, and she had Alzheimer's disease. When, when we saw her, she kind of had moderate um, with a MOCA score of, of 16. And when we saw her, we saw she had some real genetic sensitivities to specific things like gluten. She had an SH2B3 polymorphism, dairy, because she had an MCM6 polymorphism, this PMT saying she needed more choline. When it comes to, to exercise, she actually needed to be doing a lot more strength than she was doing. She obviously wasn't really doing any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it comes to other not supplements. How many grandmas too, are, by the way? <laughs> not many. Although my grandma was a little different. I, I remember when I was uh, kind of in my early 30s, I went to help her on a house she was working on. We were doing drywall on the ceiling. And I remember she did put one up by herself and I could not do it. And I was just so embarrassed. So my grandma was a little <laughs> different awesome. than, than, than most uh, grandmas. But when we, once we changed all of those things um, in three months, with Alzheimer's, you normally just want to slow the decline. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually had a 25% improvement, which was pretty incredible because most people think about, okay, what medication are you going to put someone right. sick on? And we didn't do any of that. It was all lifestyle. We cleaned out her refrigerator for the foods that were kind of kryptonite for her. Mm-hmm. We added these superfoods that she wasn't getting enough. Like she had a FADS2 polymorphism. That means she needs more omega-3 than most people. Mm-hmm. So we got her on a lot more fish and a fish oil supplement. Little things like that, that, that really add up once you look at someone's genetics and for the first time, tell them what they're really missing and what they really need. Right. Yeah, I could see that compounding effect. If you were to remove two or three things and add two or three things and change this behavior and end that behavior, you know, you can't really point to like which one had the biggest effect. It's the confluence or the combination, you know, the logarithmic effect. Yeah, they asked me like, what is the most important intervention here? And I'm like, you don't look at a Picasso painting and say, what's the most important color? It's bringing them all, <laughs> all together Right, is where you get the power, the holistic approach. That's so interesting because that's really one of the challenges I have with my training. Because our, our training is integrated development. We train physically, mentally, emotionally, intuitively, and spiritually, and we do it all together <laughs> in a kind of a petri dish kind of format. And what we found is it leads to like great strides in growth and growth and and awareness and development and healing and health. But you can't like study it very effectively, like because the the mainstream medical community, academic community, is all designed around like isolating that one factor, that one variable and controlling for all the others. And, and the human being isn't like that, mm. which is, I no. think, one of the reasons that our medical uh, profession and, and the pharmacology profession is so harmful because they're not looking at the whole. So it's really promising to see your work and the work of other people who are starting to look at the human being as a whole system and the whole being and see, solving for the whole instead of the part that's broken. Yeah. Yeah. We're not, we're not a collection of organ systems. We're a whole person. And when someone has a Headache, you don't just automatically think of the brain. You got to think about the whole system and take care right. of everything. It's, it's, it's not that simple. But you're exactly right. The reason why medicine has started to do that is because of how science is done. You, you isolate these variables and see what works, what intervention works with this, these specific variables. But I think John Muir said it best. And when he said, I'm paraphrasing, but something like anytime you try to isolate one thing and pull it out in nature, you find it connected to everything else. And that's, that's how right. we really have to think about. That is a system with everything connected. Yeah. And also Heidegger's principle, by, by isolating and observing that one thing, you're changing yeah. the nature of it, right? And so it's going to behave differently based upon yeah. who's observing and when. And that's just so interesting. Exactly right. So do you ever get to the point where you prescribe a pharmacological solution? Or are you really just on the natural thing? I mean, with the name of your company, Wild Health, it would point toward more natural, but what about pharma? 
That's always the goal is to is to fix the root cause. And and honestly, medications usually don't do that. Medications right. usually are kind of band-aids, but we sometimes you need those. So we we are physicians who can prescribe. So we certainly put people on medications when they really need it. But we're looking at what is the root cause? How are we going to fix this while we're bridging you right. to health? Because the medication usually isn't what's going to uh, give you health. We, we, we usually stop more medications than we put people on, but we're also very pragmatic. We're going to do what works. We have some people coming to us, so they're just so broken that the medications are helpful. It's more of an intervention and you wean them off it maybe over time, right? Exactly. Like if we start a medication, what's it for? What's our goal? How are we going to stop it? That's, that's the kind of things you're, you're thinking of. Yeah. Interesting. I want to talk a little bit about longevity. So a few years, a couple years ago, I read uh, Sinclair's, David Sinclair's book. He's out of Harvard and Lifespan. And he got me thinking about different supplements. And he even recommends um, metformin, mm -hmm. right? And he says there's evidence that that helps with, you know, reducing or slowing down aging and, and all this stuff. And I've got a hyperbaric chamber, right? And so there's some evidence coming out of Northern Europe about the effectiveness of hyperbaric treatments for increasing telomere length and, you know, supposedly re reducing aging or reverting aging, I guess. I'm not sure what that term is. So how do you guys deal with this idea of longevity when people come to you? Can you, you know, what does the bi uh, genome tell us about that? Yeah, it, it tells us a lot. I mean, it definitely gives us clues, first off, just in someone's longevity markers. Obviously, we don't really care about those as much as what are we going to do about it. Right. David is great. David's been on our podcast and he spoke at our conferences. And he's, I think he's definitely the leader in that field. Everyone is so individualized though. So I always feel like a broken record when I'm talking about it because it just depends on the person. I mean, metformin, you mentioned, is a great example. It clearly promotes longevity and leads to a really good outcome with in people who have elevated hemoglobin A1C. Um, however, we also work with a lot of athletes and with metformin, it also decreases a little bit your ability to kind of gain strength and potentially uh, muscle mass. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to putting someone on metformin for a longevity promotion, it depends on how old you are, what your goals are, what your A1C, what your genetics show. Yeah, it's not probably not something for a 30-year-old. You know, you shouldn't be thinking about longevity at 30 anyways, frankly, in my opinion. You should be worrying yeah, about yeah. other things. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's great if you're thinking about it, but like the intervention, certainly you're exactly right. It's going to be completely different right. interventions uh, at 30 as compared to, to 50. But yeah, there's a lot when it comes to long, longevity that we focus on. We, we're trying to think of people 30 years from now when we see them, right. like what are the things we need to get ahead of now? Not just treating the problems you have, but preventing those problems. And the genomics helps us do that. Like we can see if someone has an APOE4, they're very high risk for cardiovascular disease and dementia. So we really focus on the brain health and heart health and do extra interventions there. So the, the genomics are kind of a guideline to where um, we focus with interventions. David talks about a lot of the interventions you do, right. um, and we use all of those, but we use them differently depending on the person and the, and the circumstance. Yeah. So it's just more instead of generalizing, like David would, of course, all the, the behavioral things like meditation, exercise, sleep well, you know, hyperbaric chamber. But then he has the supplementation. He says uh, resveratrol and NMN and, res, you know, uh, metformin and quercetin and others. So those are like general ideas. But he, he does say, you know, it's, they may not work for everybody, you know, but I'm going to do them, <laughs> yeah. as he said. And so I was like, okay, if you do it, I'm going to do them. So I've been working. I haven't had any contraindications or anything, but I, can't, I don't have any evidence 
uh, except my wife says I, I'm certainly doing pretty well in a lot of areas. You know what I mean? <laughs> like physically, look, looking yeah. pretty good for a 59 year old. My training is solid as can be. You know, I still train as hard as my SEAL candidates. So th- something's working. I don't know if that's just mindset or all of this is working together. But for the person who's like listening to this, who's like not ready to like call Wild Health up, what are the general things that we should be doing? All of us, you know. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of them. I mean, obviously, sleep is just absolutely critical. I think that's extremely underrated. Everyone knows, everyone knows uh, how important nutrition and exercise is, and everyone's right. starting to catch up on just how important sleep is. I think the one that people don't talk about enough, though, is the, the mindfulness uh, and kind of mm-hmm. stress and community. Those factors aren't as studied as much in medicine, but when they are, they just have profound effects on longevity. I mean, just being lonely, um, I think it's it's equivalent. I'd have to look up this exactly, but to smoking about a pack and a half of cigarettes a day. I've heard that. That's crazy. Yeah, so it's, that, those are some of the things I think people don't talk about enough because um, they're harder to study, but they have a massive impact on on health. Wow. You can't take a pill for ending loneliness. <laughs> You have you to can't. get out there and <laughs> interact with people and develop relationships and cultivate. Open your heart, I guess. And that's why it's not been studied as much. There's no pharmaceutical company looking at studying for appeal. For yeah, yeah. They're not going to fund the study. <laughs> no. That's no. fascinating. That's right. I don't want this to sound like a commercial, but I'm actually really interested, especially since my first experience with this was like 14 years ago and I paid $5,000 to get not much. Like, how would I work with you if I wanted to? Like, what does it look like? Yeah, it's changed a lot from from when you did that. So um, first off, the costs are a lot less. When someone signs up with us, they they sign up, we send a DNA kit to their house. Uh, it's a proprietary DNA. It's, it it's, um, tests for a lot more genes than a lot of other companies do. It's just a saliva test, though. We then order the blood test. They just go to a local lab and get that yep. drawn. If they want the microbiome that comes to their house, then we start collecting all of all of the data. And even when we first started a few years ago, probably four years ago, the costs were a lot more. But now, because we have the technology, the AI engines, and it's not an incredible amount of physician time, a lot of it is automated, it's much less expensive. It's around $100 a month. So it's, it's extremely affordable, whereas just getting the genome sequenced 10 years ago was yeah. in the thousands of dollars. So it's much less expensive. And then uh, someone continues with a, a physician and a coach over the course of a year to kind of achieve those those goals and reduce the risk factors that we identify they may not have realized um, they needed to work on. Mm-hmm. So that would be a different, like more of a concierge doctor type relationship. Yeah. And we have a, we have a really high level uh, concierge program as well. That's more for kind of pro athletes and executives who want kind of 24 seven physician mm-hmm. and health coach and a, and a care coordinator. And it also includes like whole body MRI scans advanced AI, cardiac imaging, wow. uh, micronutrient testing, um, just kind of tens of thousands of dollars worth of tests and things. I don't talk about that program as as much. I don't even know if it's listed on our website because it's expensive. It's Yeah, that's for the, 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 the yeah. CEOs and the entrepreneurs who are just like, okay, no stone unturned. I just want to, I want the best. I mean, we hear the stories all the time about the executive dropping dead of a heart attack and having no idea. And it's people that want insurance against cancer and heart attack and then right. also to optimize on a different level. I'm going to ask a question, which I've never asked on a podcast because, you know, it's taboo up until like I decided to screw it. But I have four friends who died of a heart attack in the last year, year and a half. And I'm quite convinced it was from this vaccine. 
and I've been reading about the issues of myocardial arrest or myocardial infractions or whatever they're called, especially among young people, the incidences are like up significantly, like not radically statistically significantly. So what's your experience with that? What's your take on this? It, it certainly could be there, but I haven't seen any evidence of that. You haven't seen in, in your practice, you haven't? We haven't, not in our practice or just anything published. So you're dealing with a very healthy population too, I might add. We are. In general, it's a, it's a population that wants to optimize. And we do. We also get, it's interesting, both spectrums. We get people who are very sick and haven't had any success with the regular system. And then we get people who just want to optimize um, as well, who are normally pretty well. But we haven't seen that in our practice, at least. Did you think that vaccine was safe, the MNRA one? So I tend to not think as much as just look at all the evidence that's put out there. Yeah. When it comes to things like that, because it's just it's just so hard to to um, evaluate that. It's hard to find the evidence. Or it's hard to find unbiased studies too, and both sides. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's it's extremely hard to. And I mean, when I look at other vaccines in the past versus this one, and how many people actually got it, and the safety studies, the studies at least look very safe. Now, if you don't believe the studies, then you don't believe the studies. Yeah. Um, but that's all I kind of have to go on right now is looking at what's published and out there. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, I'm going to wrap up soon here, but I want to talk about the future of personalized medicine. You know, with like we're just getting warmed up with what's going to be possible with AI and personalization. What does it look like to you in 10 years or 20 years? Yeah, yeah, and I, I love the saying that the future is here, it's just unevenly distributed. Yeah, um, I, I think what I think what we're doing is the future, but we want to create that future. So as I mentioned, we have we were translating. We were kind of standing in the gap of what's already the science that's there and what no one is doing. So, but our next phase as a company, so we were, we were actually, we merged with, we were acquired by um, a publicly traded AI company in February. Wow. And what that's allowed us to do is they were named the most innovative AI company in the world by Fast Company. So what that's allowing us to do is really put AI, machine learning, looking at our algorithms. And now instead of just translating based on the science, like we should do this for this person because of this DNA and blood work, we're actually able to look at big data sets and create science, like see interactions between, oh, this has not been published, but when someone has these, this constellation of genes and they do these activities and take these supplements, this happens. Mm-hmm. So that acceleration, we've, we've tried to translate and pull the science from behind 20 years to come up to date. But then accelerating that and creating the science is the next thing. And we, we're developing, we just released an app as well that will eventually kind of be like an AI assistant and give you constant daily reminders. And you may wake up and right now we already track all of your wearables and it may say, hey, Mark, your HRV is down 20%, your body temperature is up a little bit, mm-hmm. you're probably going to be sick tomorrow. And it can predict you're getting sick or you need to slow down or you're going to overtrain and get an injury. Um, but that predictive power is what I'm really excited about and just right there uh, and doing it right now. And how far are we from personalized food? You know, that where, you know, the genome can says, okay, this is exactly how Mark needs to eat. And then there's going to be a company that ships that food to my door or, you know, somehow it gets to, to into my belly. Yeah. So we can tell you that right now. We name kryptonite foods, superfoods, things like that, kind of dietary things in general. As far as the shipping, we actually are looking at different companies who can potentially do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have recipes and things that we can give our patients kind of personalized things. We haven't partnered with any company that ships it. It's coming, huh? Wouldn't that be red? <laughs> 
It would, yeah, just to get that delivered to you, just based specifically. It's on your, like a nutritional insurance policy. Yeah, it'd be it'd be incredible. Right now, we help people figure out like how to shop, what to buy, what recipes, but to have it delivered to you would be the next level for sure. Yeah. Last question. Uh, this is more just kind of curiosity, and I think listeners would be interested. You know, you're obviously very intelligent and on the cutting edge in your field, but in general, what do you think about the state of the world, and 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 are you optimistic or? neutral or pessimistic about the future in the next 10, 20 years, culturally and kind of globally? I think I was just kind of uh, born an optimist. And I totally, when I look at the news and, and look around, I see the problems. I don't, I don't have my head buried in the sand. But at the same time, I talk to people like you. I talk to our patients. I talk to others. And I, people talk about us being on the precipice of these horrible things. Sure. Um, I think we have been for all of time and eternity, but we also are just so connected now and the science is kind of progressing. Um, I think it's going to go in a positive direction. And if I'm wrong, um, well, it was kind of fun thinking, thinking that way. And I'll be prepared if bad stuff happens, but yeah, I, I, I think we're, we're headed in a good direction. I agree. And I obviously believe that we create our own world. So it's really up to us to choose that future and to make it happen, right? That's exactly right. I love that. So, and, and these conversations and being able to have like your podcast, Wild Health Podcast and Mark Devine Show and Ben Greenfield, you know, I believe that for the first time that we know in human history, we get to scale consciousness, mm. right? By having these conversations and by thinking more positively and acting more positively at a global scale. So we can modify Gandhi's statement to be the change you want to see in the world, but to be the change we want to see in the world at scale. And that's going to make it happen. Throw an at scale on there. Yeah. Matthew, it's been, been a great conversation. You know, I'm really interested. So when we sign off here, I want to talk to you about doing this myself. And um, I really appreciate your time and all that you're doing. And, and so Wild Health is the name of the company. That's the name of your podcast too, right? It is. So um, wildhealth.com is where everything is found. I got an email right before this that they had created a code MARK20 so people could get 20% oh, cool. off if they were interested. MARK20. Thank you. That's awesome. And and that should work for, we, as being a patient, we also, you mentioned scaled con scaling consciousness. We have a series of events in, in the first quarter on awareness and waking up and consciousness. Nice. Uh, right and we also have a, a fellowship. We've trained hundreds of providers in how to do this. Right um, but I think that Mark 20 should work for conference. Where, where do you do those conferences? All around. So um, I randomly have a castle in Kentucky on 110 acres, which is a farm too. Nice. So we'll do some stuff there. Yeah. We'll be in Austin with Ryan Holiday. And so yeah, I know Ryan. He's very, a good guy. I like him a lot. Yeah. Awesome. A few other, few other places around the, around the country. I'll have to check that out too. It'd be fun to uh, see you in person. Yeah. Matthew, and so what about uh, social media or working, you know, besides coming to your companies or a place that people can connect and kind of stay uh, engaged in the conversation. Yeah, I'm an old man and I always forget our social media handles. I think it's it's at, it's at Wild Health MD. Um, 99%. You do everything through through the company. So it's not it's not a, you don't have a personal platform like Ben does. I don't. I don't really uh, I've been told I should for years, um, but I've I have four kids as well as companies to run and so I have uh, applaud your decision, stick with it. It's a pain in the neck. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seems like seems like it for it sure. Sure is. All right. Thanks again, Matthew. Appreciate it very much. Who ya? Take care. Thank you. Well, that was a fascinating interview with Matthew Dawson talking about precision medicine, personalized nutrition, 
and uh, studying the genome down to a gnat's butt so that we know exactly what you should be doing and eating to optimize your life and to avoid uh, disease and, and degrading conditions like Alzheimer's or whatnot, and also for optimal longevity. It's amazing to see where the technologies come, where the industry is going, and someday you'll be able to have personalized food delivered to your door, which will keep you optimally healthy, maybe forever. He mentioned that you can use the code MARK20 at wildhealth.com to get started, um, to get your genome measured. So go check it out. Quick plug for the newsletter, Divine Inspiration. It uh, comes out weekly on Tuesday, where I have the show notes from the week's episode as well as my blog and other really interesting things, such as when I get interviewed on other podcasts, we'll link that, other articles that are interesting to me and I think would be to you, and also a weekly practice. Go to markdivine.com to sign up and subscribe. Show notes of this episode are up on our Mark Divine site in the podcast section, and the video will be up at YouTube. Uh, you can find me at Real Mark Divine on Instagram, Facebook, and at Mark Divine on Elon Musk's new company, Twitter. Thanks so much to Jeff Haskell and Jason Sanderson and Catherine who produced this podcast and bring incredible guests like Matthew to you every week. Ratings and reviews are extremely helpful. If you haven't done so, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to this show. And I'm excited to be leading the charge with our new SealFit quest. Each quarter, we're running a new quest. Go to sealfit.com to learn more. The Quest is a 90-day challenge, virtual challenge with group coaching and then a two-and-a-half-day immersive event. First quarter is the quest to get seal fit. Second quarter is the quest to be unbeatable. Third quarter is the quest to find your inner warrior. And then the fourth quarter is the quest to be sheepdog strong. So join us on your hero's journey with the seal fit Quest. SealFit.com. Thanks so much for being part of the change you want to see in the world. We can do it now at scale, and we're going to be part of the solution to overcome some of the chaos and negativity and violence in the world. But we got to do it one person at a time, leading by example. And I appreciate you for doing your work. Till next time, this is your host, Mark Devine. This is the Mark Devine Show. Booyah.